0: Well, this morning um after just a week away in uh we we had gone after another passage of scripture last week out of the gospel of Luke. We come back into it again this week and we're we have a couple more breaks in between now and late October, but we should be staying in the vast majority of the time and we've come to the first portion of a new chapter, Luke chapter 19. So Luke 18 had been rich with with lots of um good fodder for uh, faith and growing in, in faith and trust and discipleship. And, and this chapter is the same. The, the The themes that Luke is wanting to specifically point us to, um, of all the many things that Jesus has been teaching um, along the way to Jerusalem, the thing that Luke wants to point us to in this specific text is pretty clear as we think about the context. You think about what the Apostle John said at the very end of his um, gospel, he says this, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. All sorts of stuff that Jesus did that is w- way beyond what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have written about. And uh, so what we see are purposeful moments in, in the history of Jesus's life in the actions of Jesus' life that Luke in particular in our study wants us to see. Of all the things that Jesus did, all the things that he had said, all the relational connections he had made, all the miracles, all the stories of grace, Luke points this specific story out. And the fact that he does do that, it should pique our interest to why? What's the big deal about Zacchaeus? What's the big deal here? There, there's something or some things in this story that we're specifically being shown and taught on purpose. So we read Luke, we read the Gospel of Luke, with this sense of anticipation because everything that Luke's writing is a, if you remember from chapter 1, an orderly account for Theophilus so that he would be certain of that which he had been taught. So the same is true for us. Everything that we read, everything that we're studying here is for our good. And so what is it in the story of Zacchaeus that's so important, that makes it, you know, make the cut, Uh, among all the other things that Jesus was doing? Why is this story important to us this morning, some 2,000 years later? The familiar story of the wee little man named Zacchaeus picks up as Jesus enters and begins to walk through the heart of the city of Jericho. remember last week he was approaching Jericho. This week he's walked into Jericho, which is a city that's very close to Jerusalem. In fact, he's going to be just a little bit beyond one week away from his death at this point. So the last thing, pretty much, the Luke wants us to see before he goes into the events of the week, of all weeks. Um, I mean, this is it, what we come to today. This is, this is, every bit of God's word is important, but you see Zacchaeus, because I imagine many of you went to vacation Bible school or you went to Sunday school, and so you could sing along with me, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see, you know, so we know the story what's the big deal? (laughs) You know, I mean, it's a cool story. He's a little guy. I don't know. I think, I think he might be Irish because he's a wee little man, right? But um, uh, anyway, so unexpected, though, in this story is that this guy, this guy gets saved. That's, that's absolutely unexpected. Do you remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector just a few weeks back the Pharisee had all the credentials in the world all the right answers but it was the tax collector who threw himself on God's mercy who Jesus declared went home saved that day he had he had nothing but the mercy of God and he knew it absolutely unexpected was this publican over the Pharisee the Pharisee should have had it by by all by all Accounts according to the Jews in the area, he he should be the one. But Jesus is like no unexpected, the other guy gets saved because he trusts in the mercy of God. The rich young ruler, it's a synagogue ruler. Everyone thought highly of this guy. From just a few weeks back, you might remember Kale, Pastor Kale, preaching about this. Surely it was someone like him who would be given eternal life. Um, but again, Jesus made it altogether to clear that that as good as a guy as he was he he worshipped i mean he and he was good he he followed the law extensively, but he worshipped another god entirely uh, he was blind to it, but he loved money he he loved himself and he loved money and, and, and while man would think that that may not be a huge deal. Jesus stated that salvation and eternal life for that man who loved money was impossible. Actually, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's ridiculous. There's no way it can happen. The reality is that rich people who love money more than Christ, and I would just add impoverished people who love money more than Christ as well, cannot enter into heaven and as we come to this text we enter Jericho with Jesus and his followers and what do we come to but a rich man a rich tax collector and he would not have been on anybody's radar whatsoever if somebody who would be converted, be saved be shown mercy, it's impossible to save a scoundrel of a man like Zacchaeus Zacchaeus might have been a wee little man but he was a jerk and he was a He was a huge jerk. He was a huge, self-centered, self-righteous dog of a man. People hated him. The one thing that Luke wants us to see this morning is that while with this man, according to the men around him and the women around him, even, even though they think that it's absolutely impossible, which certainly it is, according to what Jesus had just said, um, with God, all things are possible, even even a camel going through the eye of a needle. Um, first thing we observe in the story is this: uh, Zacchaeus strives to see Jesus. If you take a notes, that's, that's the, just the first point. Zacchaeus strives to see Jesus. If you've got your Bibles open, it's verses one through three is what I'm thinking about here. He entered Jericho, was passing through. Behold, there's he being Jesus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small, in stature. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, we met a blind man uh, in the later part of Luke 18. Um, He literally could not see Jesus, but he knew Jesus, if you remember that sermon at all. he, He, in all reality, saw who Jesus was, and he was absolutely desperate for him. So he couldn't see, but he cried out, Have mercy on me, son of David. He knew who he was, and he knew that he must have mercy from him. Now this morning, we come to a different kind of blind man. He could physically see Jesus, so the opposite of the blind man from two weeks ago, he could actually see Jesus, but but he really couldn't truly see him for who he was, at least at this point. Now we don't know much about Zacchaeus, um, and again, we, we all know he's short and whatnot, but this guy was filthy rich. He's the chief tax collector or a chief tax collector in Jericho, big town just outside of Jerusalem so he's outside of Jerusalem or he's outside of Jerusalem in Jericho that literally thousands of people are going through Jericho every year especially at this point in time because the Passover is coming in just a week so there's all sorts of pilgrims that are coming through Jericho and this guy taxes everybody and and he because he's a chief tax collector I mean what a pyramid scheme right he's he's the guy who gets a cut out of every tax collector's take well takings so this guy is filthy, filthy rich. Um, and he was the least likely man to be saved that day. But for some reason, beyond all human understanding, Zacchaeus wanted, nevertheless, to see Jesus. He did. He, he, he perhaps was having an existential crisis. Wanted to see who Jesus was. Wondering, like, well, am I, am I, what, what do I exist for? This Jesus, I've heard about him. I've heard this and I've heard that and I've heard all, all this kind of stuff. I want to see who, who he is. Did he have faith in that moment? No no idea. What we know is he wanted to see Jesus. It seems as though he had some sort of interest in him. He was Jesus was this popular speaker guy, the men that the Pharisees hated, and yet all his buddy tax collectors that he had probably heard of through the weeks prior. I mean, what would tax collectors be talking about? Jesus, this Jesus, this, this prophet, this, this man who says he is the son of David and son of God and doing all sorts of miracles, who is he spending time with? Tax collectors, just like Zacchaeus. And so word may have gotten to him, and he was just interested in what Jesus was doing there and just to see him. Um, Perhaps he felt that even though he was successful and wealthy, he was empty inside and wanted to consider something he'd never considered before that maybe Jesus was the answer to. We just we just don't know what the what the things are um, so Zacchaeus heard about Jesus, wanted to see him, wanted to get a look at him. I remember being in um, Estes Park when President Bush came through, and uh, even though the second President Bush, George W., he, uh, he was coming through with his motorcade, and everyone was lined up on the road, and it was so exciting. And literally, we saw, you know, we saw this, but we all waited for hours just to see that, you know. It was just this, uh, this anticipation of George W. Bush is coming through, coming through. And it's going to be amazing. And there's people, flags all the way along up in Estes, but you might imagine how beautiful it was. It was awesome. Jesus was coming into town, and he wasn't just coming into town by himself, but a crowd was with him. And so it was an exciting day. Whether Zacchaeus was just looking for Jesus out of some sort of curiosity or some sort of deep need that he sensed in his own heart, the reality is he had to see Jesus for himself. He had to see him. And so the um, problem was he was short, and so lots of people in front of him. Now, if you've watched The Lord of the Rings and you you know the fight the battle of Hel- at Helms deep and and gimli is at the wall and gimli you know has to he can't see right he can't see over the wall so he's given a he's given like a little stool to stand on and he's mocked by his buddy uh, all that so that's the kind of picture that says he, he he's like too short and he can't see over all these other tall people and if you're short I'm short and and it's irritating tall people when you stand in front of us so um so just uh, this this was this was part of the issue. He couldn't see over top of people, but he was determined to see Jesus. And so what does he do? The crowd's coming. He runs ahead of the crowd. He sees the sycamore tree, and he hops up in the sycamore tree because he wants to be able to get up there and see him. Now, consider there were other things that were working against this man from seeing Jesus as well, things like that he was simply filthy rich and that... It was impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He was a sinner. He was a great sinner. He was, for instance, the chief of sinners, chief tax collector, chief of sinners. He knew it. Everyone else knew it. There's simply no way this man could or should see Jesus. On on one hand, he could climb up the Sycamore tree to see him, but the impossibility of truly seeing Jesus for who he is and come to him seems seems just apparent that, it's just not going to happen he can see him with his eyes but, but there's nothing spiritual going on in this man and listen this is true of every s- simply every single person on this planet especially those who are rich and and I remember Kale saying this and we've heard this before they're really like no matter how well to some extent you know the reality is we're, we're all we're all pretty well off y'all came in cars this morning um, we have homes pretty well off. And so there's a, sp- there's a specific danger here for people like us, people in this country, for the most part. One of the things that Jesus has been speaking of again on many occasions, that one cannot love money and love God at the same time. Um, and, and really, it truly is a love thing. It's a worship Thing. It's like what I love most, Jesus or something else. In this case, money. Um, Romans 1 speaks of this. To come to a place to have, of like even though um, the glory of God is all around, they reject, we, we reject, Romans 1, we reject the glory of God for stuff. The created things. That's, that's our plight as humans, it seems like. I mean, people can show up to church and see Him, quote, unquote, they can get into Bible studies to be able to try to see Him. Perhaps they might even be recipients of God's grace in some way concerning healing or deliverance of some sort. And again, certainly we know that that when... When we look to the heavens, they declare the glory of God. So as people look to the heavens or look to creation, they can see God. I, I feel God, people will say, when I'm in the mountains or when I'm at the ocean or, or I'm out in western Montana and I'm looking up and you see the sky and you're overwhelmed by the reality of the, all the planets and all the stars. And but people love stuff. People love themselves. People love all sorts of whatever in place of God. It's just absolutely impossible for man to seek Jesus, to seek God on his own. Nevertheless, the squinty eyed, self sufficient, self indulgent heart of the chief tax collector of Jericho somehow gets to a place where he must see Jesus. And we've seen this before I've seen it in The Blind Beggar just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we saw it in the 10 lepers of chapter 17 where they had to get to Jesus. And that one, that one leper, right, when he gets healed, he had to get back to Jesus. He had to. Nothing was stopping him. The other nine kept going. But he turned around. He had to get to Jesus. He had to see Jesus. This is, this is kind of what's going on in Zacchaeus' heart anyone who saw, anyone who felt the desperation in those days must get to Jesus no matter what people say, no matter the mocking, no matter the deriding, no matter the cost, no matter what they, no matter what they experience, they have to get to him. Nothing, you see, there's, there's something that goes on in, in, their, in their, not just their head, but their heart that changes to like, I don't care what that person says, I got to get to Jesus. And that's what Zacchaeus is dealing with, and that's what everybody Many of you here today have been given hearts. Oh we've got to see Jesus. So Zacchaeus runs ahead, climbs a tree, amid an ever-increasing crowd of people who absolutely despise him because he must see Jesus. Now, let me just press on just a little bit more on this point. Romans 3, verse 11 says that no one understands. No one seeks God. Uh, it's just simply true. It's a biblical reality. and 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 of course... Lots of people press against that, um, don't like that. But the reality is, is that it is kind of throughout Scripture. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And they have all turned aside. They've become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. That doesn't mean people aren't generally good. But when it comes to being holy, as God is holy, there is nobody on this planet that can attain that. Romans three ten 10, eighteen says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So, the question is okay, so what accounts, if that's true, which it is, then what accounts for Zacchaeus seeking to see Jesus? The, the man named Zacchaeus was not first seeking Jesus somehow because he had turned some sort of existential, rationalistic, spiritual corner in his life, and all of a sudden he sees because he read a book or because somebody told him about Jesus that somehow. Somehow he just like became a, a good guy and wants to seek Jesus. Rather, we'll see in just a few moments in point two is that rather than Zacchaeus being the one who seeks Jesus, Jesus is in fact the one who is seeking Zacchaeus. God had been the one working in Zacchaeus's heart already. We know this to be true. If we seek Jesus, if we love Jesus, if we long to follow Jesus, guess what that means? That means our hearts have been worked upon by God. Because left to ourselves, do not understand. The natural man cannot understand the things of God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It's it's it, it, it's potentially offensive. It's potentially frustrating to a world that loves to be self-sufficient. But listen, we're not self-sufficient. God had been working in Zacchaeus's heart. God has been working in many of our hearts as well. And if you don't know Jesus today, but you're here this morning, God is at work in your heart. You think about, of all the people in the crowd Jesus was interacting with, there is one person in that crowd, in that busy town of Jericho, and there's one person that he's after. He gives Zacchaeus particularly an earnest desire that might even say an irresistible desire to see Jesus. He must see Jesus he's not coerced into it he, there's, there's, there's no guilt trip to Zacchaeus you're really buddy you're, you're a terrible man you need to go see Jesus you need to get your life figured out Zacchaeus has something going on inside of him that has to get ahead of the people has to climb the sycamore tree to be able to see Jesus in some manner um, his heart there was something that was moved in his heart to get him to that place of earnest intention so let's dive into the second observation that is jesus finds those who are lost zacchaeus was seeking jesus but jesus is the one who finds those who are lost verses five through seven when jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him zacchaeus hurry and come down for i must stay at your house today so he hurried came down and he received him joyfully And when they saw it, that is the crowd and whatever, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. All these people are following Jesus. They're just ticked off that Jesus is doing the same thing he's been doing all the way along. So, yes, Zacchaeus was on mission to see Jesus. But ultimately, seeing Jesus with the eyes means little. What matters here is that Jesus sees Zacchaeus. And he is on mission to seek him out and to save him. That he is on mission to redeem Zacchaeus, to save him. And so question again, can someone like Zacchaeus be saved? Again, he's a ruler. He's he's like the rich young ruler, self-sufficient in almost every way. He's a tax collector, honestly, having done so many bad things in his life and destroyed people's lives through his actions. He's, he's filthy rich. Even Jesus had said it's impossible, Zacchaeus, for you to come into the kingdom. I He generally said that. He's a sinner, chief of sinners. And I, you know, I don't know necessarily who to compare him to today. And each of us might be able to imagine what we believe to be the most impossible person coming to faith in Christ, coming to Jesus. We think of that coworker or that family member or a politician or a religious leader, the one that hates or, or the one that hates church, despises Christianity, totally self sufficient, doesn't want to hear about your Jesus. Leave me alone. Stop talking to me about him. Now perhaps it's just simply someone you've seen on the news and just assume, man, it's impossible for that person to ever come to faith. Yep, we have those people, don't we? We know we know. We know there's people like that. Well, guess what? Everybody is like that. I mean, yeah, we've heard of stories happening, like our own stories of faith coming to Christ. But with this guy or with that woman, (laughs) it just seems so impossible. There's just no way they would ever come to faith in Christ. You think about the person just for a moment and write that name down on your journal if you're taking notes. Because that person we want to pray for. The reality is that this is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was lost. Even though he had a great heritage. Um, he was an Israelite. A great heritage. Zacchaeus was lost, even though he had a high position in his profession. He was he was very self sufficient. It seems as though God had blessed him. Even through the wickedness Zacchaeus was doomed to remain lost because you know, honestly uh, up until at this point he doesn't even know he's lost because he's the son of Abraham he's a child of the state he's a child of the the chosen people of God and so surely that's enough that's what the Pharisees thought and Jesus is saying "Mm." so what are we to make of this situation this man who has so much going against him Well, we could talk about Zacchaeus a little bit more, but but I don't want to. I want to talk about the other person that's in the story, and that's Jesus. Um, What is it we see in this, but Jesus taking the initiative with Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus had to get to Jesus, but you don't hear Zacchaeus saying the same thing that the blind man said a couple weeks ago. You don't hear him calling out, like, like the blind man was sitting, standing there begging and, and it's like, what, what's all the noise? I can't, what's all the noise? What well, Jesus of Nazareth is going, oh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's crying out. What's Zacchaeus doing? Scampered up a sycamore tree, which is cool. Made a song. Blind man never made a song in Sunday school. <laughs> what we are told in this story is really not much about what Zacchaeus does here in this moment. It's Jesus looks up into the tree for some reason and he calls Zacchaeus by name. Now consider that for a moment. How, how does Jesus know who this man is? Well, he's God. Okay. Good point. He could have just said, hey, hey, there's a, uh, disciples come over. Hey, Jesus is a guy in a tree. It seems like he's looking for you. Hey, guy in the tree, come down. He doesn't do that. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. He knows him. He called him by name, he already knows his story. Think about that. Don't let it slide in and in one ear and out the other. Think about it. He knows Zacchaeus. He knows this guy. He knows all about him. He knows his struggles. He knows his sorrows. He knows his difficulty. He knows his sins. He knows all the garbage that he had been involved in. He knows the depth of the sin in his heart. He knows him. This is Jesus. He he knows him. And if you read the gospels you read of this reality over and over again. Jesus seeing Nathanael under the tree. One of the most recent chosen episodes was, was just awesome. Nathanael's crying out, do you see me? And just like, like at the end of the story, Jesus comes up at the end of that episode. Jesus comes up and um, while Nathanael had been crying out to Yahweh, Jesus shows up and says, I saw you under the tree. This is this is happening over and over again. At the, the well, Jesus with the Samaritan woman, what does he do? But tell her everything she's ever done. And all she can do is go, I perceive you're a prophet. Yes, 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 I am. And and much more than that. I am the son of man, the son of God, son of David, and I have come to save you. Savior who knows his own and causes the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the sick to be made well and the lost to be found and knows under judgment of sin to be saved. As if you've trusted Jesus, which I know many of you have in this place, man, Did you do you, rec- do you know that before you ever knew Jesus, Jesus knew you? Or, or do you kind of settle into the sense of, well, man, I just like I've always known, Je- Jesus knew you when you were still his enemy. He searched for you before you ever sought him out. And do you know that he loved you before you ever loved him? It's true of every single one of us who have placed our hope and trust in Jesus. He knows you intimately today. He, he knows your struggles. He knows your wrestlings. He knows all about you. Friend, if you are born again, ah, wonderful news. If you're not, if you've not trusted in Jesus, if you've not believed on him but you're kind of seeking him like Zacchaeus just kind of going what, what is what is that all about he knows you and he's calling you to himself he's seeking you and calling you to to come to him in faith friends Jesus found Zacchaeus what to everybody's surprise and shock amid all the hindrances that seemed like roadblocks to Zacchaeus's heart Jesus went straight through all the roadblocks and found the man that he was going to save Zacchaeus, the wee little man, a sinner. Just, just a dude in, in, Jer- in Jericho. And, and not even a good dude. He's just like you and me. He was spiritually blind, and he was spiritually lost. But Jesus looked upon him with redeeming love and purposeful pursuit. So what is it that Jesus has been saying throughout our time in Luke? uh, Of all the things he's been saying, Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Pharisees, you guys think you're all cool. You're not cool. You're not good. You're sick. But you don't even know you're sick. Zacchaeus knows he's sick. Blind man knows he's sick. The lepers know they're sick. The disciples know they're sick. Prostitutes know they're sick. And they have mer- they have need of mercy. Jesus said in Luke chapter 15, you might remember, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one is lost. Here's an example. He Goes after the one. Doesn't forget everybody else. But in this instance, he is going after the one. And listen, he's going after you today. If you don't know Jesus today, he's, he's coming after you. What a gracious thing that is. Instead of leaving you to yourself. The last verse in our text says, The Son of Man, Jesus says this, For the Son of Man came... To seek and to save the lost. This, this is what I'm here. This is what I'm here for. The whole purpose of the Son of God becoming flesh, being the Son of Man, coming to Earth and living, was to find and save people, just like Zacchaeus, people like you and people like me. The disciples and the crowds had asked rightly just a couple of weeks ago when Jesus said it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They asked then, then, then who, who, who Jesus can be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And just one story later, I mean there's one story in between. One story or two stories later, what do we come to but a story of the impossible becoming very possible because Jesus is at work. Salvation of a rich man. Shouldn't happen. But it does. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today now don't like feel that must now jesus it wasn't just jesus hungry i gotta have some food get me into your house he's like i must come to your house today he has purpose the reason he had to stay at his house is because he, was going, he had come and he was going to save this man. He had come to save him. Jesus had to stay at his house that day because it was his plan from before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 through 10 and oodles of other passages. On the exact day Zacchaeus would meet his Savior. And Jesus had to get to his house. He had, that was part of his intention. Now, Jesus had said elsewhere in John chapter 10, a a wonderful passage. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. I must get to your house, Zacchaeus. I must bring you to me, I must save you they will listen to my voice he says so there will be one flock, one shepherd friends the seeker in this story isn't Zacchaeus um, it's Jesus this story is, is not even primarily about Zacchaeus this is about the saving power of Jesus in a man's life in a, in a, in a, in a foul man and the same is true of your story Jesus sought you and saved you. Your seeking of him, which you did, was entirely on account of him seeking you first. And the result of Jesus' purposeful pursuit of Zacchaeus, he gets his man. He saves him. That's what happens. Something comes alive in Zacchaeus. He was on the tree... He was in the tree, and he was looking to Jesus. Oh, there's Jesus there. Oh, Jesus is talking to me. All of a sudden, something comes alive in his heart, and he scrambles down the tree, and he receives him, receives Jesus into his house with great joy. Now, just not proper etiquette for someone to invite themselves over into a house. Um, Not necessarily proper etiquette today either, but like it's just not proper to kind of say, hey, can I come to your house for dinner? I mean, we do that. I've done that to the Sanders before, you know, and and different people. Hey, like uh, Kate Ziney, I kind of like your um, your uh, your rolls at Christmas time. Could you give some to me? Um, And uh, and she graciously does. So so lack of etiquette, pastor, non-etiquette here. But uh, but the reality is it's not super. Is that cool in our culture? But it's especially not cool in that culture. Hospitality was, but not inviting yourself over to someone's place. And Jesus did just that. He he invited himself over, and rather than being put out or slow to respond, like I think I hate to keep using all the all the like Lord of the Rings and Hobbit language, but like when Bilbo Baggins. You know, when, there's, when, there's, when all the people are coming into his house and he's like, he does not want to share his food. He doesn't want them to come. Ends up changing his life. But, but the reality is he, he was really like hesitant. There's no hesitance in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus scrambles down the tree with great joy and says, come on. He's not coerced. He's not talked into it. I'll come to church. Come to church. It'll be, it'll be awesome. It'll be good. You need. You need uh, I don't want. To, Something different was going on with Zacchaeus in this moment. He, he saw Jesus. Jesus spoke a word to him. Something came alive in his heart. And his life began to be immediately altered. Great joy came over him. All who come to see Jesus clearly and place their trust in him. Receive him into our hearts with great joy. Zacchaeus is being saved. The way, um, the way, it would be described is that the Holy Spirit is regenerating a dead heart, bringing a dead heart to life. This is the work of a of a holy God in a person whose heart is dead, and and as a dead person, a dead person's not doing much about their dead heart. But Jesus makes them alive. Paul would say it this way to the Colossian church. You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. Who made alive? God. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And so, yeah, what's happening is Zacchaeus is being converted. He's being made alive. He's being changed from the inside out. And this ticks off the crowd To them, Zacchaeus doesn't deserve it. And guess what? They are absolutely right. He does not deserve it whatsoever. But Jesus, nonetheless, has sought out the one sheep and has found him. And we see in this last point the immediate fruit of that salvation that's come to Zacchaeus. Third observation, Jesus changes those whom he finds. Verses 8 through 10 says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So recall once more with me this morning of the the response of the rich young ruler when Jesus told him that he lacks one thing, uh, just to give away his wealth which in reality is his God. And he left sad on that day because he was very rich. And he loved riches more than God, even though he was a religious man. He was a descendant of Abraham and expected to be part of the people of God. Well, here we see another descendant of Abraham who has been entirely enamored with money up until this point. Who has now been radically changed. His love for money is gone amid meeting the greatest treasure. Not the, the the issue is not is not well. As a Christian, should we give all of our money away, or should we just give half away like Zacchaeus did, or repay people, or, or that, that's not the point. The point isn't percentages. The point is that. Money and, and that lifestyle of defrauding people of money, the wealth, the, 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 the God of wealth that was alive and at work and the, and the rich young ruler um, sent him away into destitution spiritually. Um, Zacchaeus had this change of heart that all of a sudden the thing that was his God, money, became less than. And Jesus became more than. Way more than. And he says... Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That money seemed secondary in his life. Jesus had his devotion. Jesus had his worship. Jesus had his heart. Does Jesus have your heart today? Zacchaeus is, in saying Lord, he's saying all, all of a sudden, goes from Jesus to Lord, Master, Savior, Lord. I used to love money just like 10 minutes ago. I used to love money. I love money so much that I defrauded people. I stole from the poor, but you have changed my life entirely. Now all I want to do is follow you. Friends, Zacchaeus' heart has been changed, has been altered. The, the treasure he had been looking for in money was now just seen as pittance compared to the treasure he had found in Jesus. And do, do, do you know Jesus as that treasure? What Was he that treasure to you at some point in the past? And somehow he's become less of a treasure to you. Zacchaeus was born again. He was made new. That which was dead had come alive for the first time. And that's true of all of us who have been born again. All those who were once lost but have now been found. And again, I ask, is this true of you? Not talking about some sort of sp- just spiritual life or, or like commitment to the church or even just commitment to God. Or I'm talking as has your life been changed? Perhaps you're familiar with an old Scottish preacher named Thomas Chalmers, who preached a sermon called "The Expulsive Power of a New Affection." And the idea behind that sermon was that you simply cannot fight a sin that you love or desire, or a desire that's set on the wrong place by some sort of simple act of willpower to not love it. Uh, just like got to get it together, I can't love that thing, so I'm not going to love that thing. We know how that works it, for a season, for a short little season, or whatever. But until the treasure changes, there's going to be a continual intense struggle in that area. The motivation to to um, to follow Christ is not simply a matter of doing the right thing, but it is of looking to the greater treasure and finding it, that is finding him, to be so much better than all of that which you used to find so satisfying. And here's, what, what is it you find so satisfying in your life? Now, there's plenty of things to be satisfied and happy and content. All good gifts are from the Father of lights. It's wonderful gifts. So there's plenty of things to be satisfied with, but, but who is the overarching satisfaction in your life? What if that thing got stripped away? What if, what if this gets stripped away? Maybe it's, maybe it's finances, maybe it's your health, maybe it's family, maybe it's, I don't know. What if those things get stripped? Where is your treasure located? for uh, one who is truly born again, for someone like Zacchaeus. The proof of his salvation, the proof of his conversion is seen in the joyful liberation he has from his former way of life, his former love. Nothing usurps the place of God in one who has been converted. I mean, on and off, we're growing, right? But like, there is a significant change that takes place. Someone else has taken control of my life. My life is radically altered. Not not perfect, but radically altered nonetheless. Certainly not just religion or some sort of spiritual thinking, but my life has been changed. I've been converted. I've been born again. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Blind and see, totally different. Lost, found, totally different. Opposites. What is it that has your heart this morning? Is it Jesus or something else? And Jesus declares Zacchaeus is saved and a true son of Abraham. And he's had one last thing to say. And, and that's why he says this. This is why I came as the son of man, came to seek and to save the lost, because there are lost. And I, I know those who are my own. Those, those are lost. I'm coming after them and I'm going to save them. Zacchaeus is one of the lost sheep of Israel who Jesus came To rescue. Now, Luke places this specific story of Jesus' primary purpose, his main ministry, not to heal physical ailments or deliver from emotional and psychological bondage, all of part of his ministry, but the main thing was to seek and to save the lost. This is why he walked into Jerusalem in just a few short days. To change the hearts of all who are His, all that the way that He talks about it in John ten, all whom the Father has given me, He's come to change the heart of all who are His throughout time, to redeem His people from bondage to the world and free them to find in Him the satisfaction and joy they long for. Friends, the ability to know the good news of Jesus Christ in our country is astounding. It, it really is crazy astounding. The um, you can hear the gospel preached on the radio. You can come free outside here and hear the gospel. You can listen to it on Spotify. You can any any sorts of podcasts it's on TV, churches all over the place, stadiums, newspapers, street corners. Yet we are a country that is inundated with all sorts of things that make lousy gods, gods that damn rather than save. And there have to be some who are here this morning who are struggling in their sense of worshiping these false gods and, 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 and wanting to follow all that they have to offer, striving to find satisfaction and security and all that stuff that the world has to offer. And Jesus is saying to you today, if that's where you are, you're lost and you need to be found. You're a sinner and you need to be forgiven. And, and far from that being negative news, Um, it is amazing news to hear that this morning because Jesus says you're lost and you need forgiveness. And guess what I came for? To find you and to forgive you. To find you, to free you, to change your heart, to find the greatest satisfaction you will ever know now if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Christ and you're like yeah you know what i trust in jesus i believe in jesus but i'm not finding him to be the greatest treasure there's one place to go have mercy on me god help me to see my eyes have grown blind somehow i don't know why i can't i can't identify anything specifically don't think, but if there is anything in me, make it known to me that I would be able to see you as the all-satisfying one. I wonder, friend, have you trusted in Jesus? Has he become your treasure? Or do you have all sorts of other treasures before him? Are you one of those who, settling for the garbage the world has to offer, are, are you one of those who are wandering around in spiritual blindness not even realizing that in fact you may simply yet tragically be lost and you need to be found and if so if that's you he calls you today to come to him to repent of your misplaced affections and worship and look to him to trust him believe on him to scurry down out of your sycamore tree and receive jesus with great joy May that be true of you today. And friends, for those of you who are born again here, who have trusted in Jesus, I mean, there is, I mean, everybody, we don't know everyone's heart, right? But but like everywhere we go, people need to hear this news. There are people who are lost all over the place. Jesus said, I have many in that town that are not yet mine. I, I must save them. There are people in Bellbrook. There are people in Waynesville. There are people in Kettering and Beaver Creek and Fairborn and Dayton, Sugar Creek Township. All sorts of people who need to hear the gospel, the good news, and be found. And one of the, ra- one of the ways Jesus finds them is through you. He has you in different places in this city, in, in, in spheres of friends and neighborhoods where you can have impact in some manner, start by praying for your neighbors. Start by praying for your coworkers, for God to give you a heart to introduce them to this good God. If you're struggling in having desire yourself and intention to follow Jesus and he's not your greatest treasure again, you know, look to him uh, and pray to him and ask him to move in your heart as he once did. To, to, to think about the way that the Spirit said to the church in Ephesus. Return to your first love. What does that look like? I think it looks like going to Jesus, who was your first love, was your first love at one point, and say, Jesus, you've got to change my heart. Something's got to happen. You've got to move in me may he do that let me pray